Let's do pod. Hi. Hi. Steve from Retro Man Blog, and welcome to this latest edition of Retrosonic Podcast. And you just heard the great track Scandinistas from a new band, Gartu Plan, and their album, which is, um, I'm going to struggle here, so I'm going to introduce my guest. Um, it is Gartu Plan's frontman, Inge Johansson. Hi, Inge. Hello. How are you? Very good. Very good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. And um, I quickly introduced you first before trying to pronounce the album. So tell us the title in, in lovely Swedish. Uh, the title of the album is Kampen går vidare. Uh, yeah, it, it's a tongue twist for anyone who's not Swedish, of course. And it would translate to The Struggle Continues in english that's uh yes. yeah that's the title of of life <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty a pretty um apt title for these days isn't it but uh, and gartu plan i know it's like a, it's a street level isn't it it says it's like a yeah tell us why you decided on that name is it just sort of more of like the the sort of i know it's a good punk rock album is it that sort of street punk is that where you're coming from <laughs> yes and okay this is a this is a deep cut but since you're uh, from England, you know what I'm talking about when I'm going to uh, pick up the reference to where I got the name from. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows ever is The Young Ones from, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you should know that one. Oh, of course. Yeah. It, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm, you know, Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson is just just as big of gods for me as like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne or uh, uh, Jello Biafra, you know, you can compare them easily because they came in in a time in my life where, where you start to figure out who you are and what you like and all that. And in, in the first episode of The Young Ones, they're watching a TV show for young adults oh, yeah. called no, yeah. Nosing Around. Yeah. <laughs> about like social problems among young people in yeah. England at the time. And they have this section in Nosing Around called Street Level, uh-huh. where they go out and interview young people on the street, young adults, about what they find 
wrong with society or problems or, and everything they talk about the only thing they want to do is to be able to drink in pubs when they're 16 like they talk about unemployment war you know yeah. uh reproductive rights whatever but i thought it was so funny you know they're doing this like what do young people want yeah they just want to drink in pubs yeah. and it's a street level and i was like so that was actually where i got it from in the first place like got the plan uh-huh. street level so it's a oh. direct reference to the young ones. I see. So that's interesting, actually, because um, it's a Swedish language album um, and it's yep. a Swedish title, a Swedish band. So I, I didn't imagine that you'd have got the title from a very, very English, well, comedy institution. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I am the young ones. I am Filthy Rich and Cat Flap. I am Bottom. I am the new <laughs> statesman. Like, that's my... That's, just as much of my cultural heritage as the Ramones, you know? <laughs> well, obviously, most people over here in the UK would know you from your time with International Noise Conspiracy. And probably yeah. then in, in the States, they might know you more as uh, with Against Me. Um, yeah. And this is, and you've, you know, we're going to obviously touch on various aspects of your musical career, but, um, you know, you've sort of played bass and or you're also guitar and in, in some, in quite a few bands over the years. But this is your first sort of, um, so I say it's not really a solo project, is it? Because it's a band, I guess. But it's your first band where you're taking center stage. Am I am I right in that? It's a- yeah, it is a solo project in the sense that I wrote the entire album and then I had the demos down, like from like phone recordings at home, and then I scouted people that I would have a good time making music with and who would get it instantly and could work fast with me. So. It's a solo project, but it would not have happened without a backing band, so to speak. Sure. Uh, but I, I, so it's sort of in between. And, and instead of doing it as a solo artist, I don't think Inge Johansson would be a very good punk rock solo name. You know, I've, <laughs> it's too late to change at this point. I mean, I could have been called... I don't know, Rusty Blades or whatever. <laughs> but, but I could have done something like that. But... Uh, so I decided to give it a little bit like how Imperial State Electric is Nicky Andersson's solo project, but it appears as a band and yeah. they're a band live and they're like a lineup of, of, I want, I had that as my blueprint, so to speak. It's a good idea, isn't it? Because it, 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 gives, it gives you the best of both worlds, doesn't it? You've, uh, you're calling the shots, but you've got that atmosphere and feeling of a band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also everyone that's involved they're like very busy people and very like you know uh, involved in music in other ways so i was just so happy to get them on board uh it started out basically as a, a need of just i'm gonna write songs and see where this goes and then i got like a little kind of a kick out of it and uh well now i'm writing my follow-up album and yeah good times <laughs> great well, it's a fantastic album, and, and it, the good thing is it's sort of... I mean, we played a, a track from uh, from the album before, or with one of your first singles. Thank you. And it, it sort of goes through various genres of, of punk, and new wave and power pop, and even sort of there's a bit of ska. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different influences, you know, a bit of... Um, oh, yeah. Not so much rap, but you've got a lot of different styles all crammed into the album, and it's, it's a really well-produced record. It's, I mean, it's one of those record albums that you put it on, 
and it just blasts out no matter what volume you've got it on you know it it's a great sounding record you know as you can hear from well, the thank you. first track you know so i mean were you really pleased with how it came out you know were you, were you happy with the finished oh, result oh yeah i'm 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 super stoked on it it got as good as it possibly could get with that kind of you know you're on a restricted budget and i paid the musicians as well and i paid for most of the recording myself and and for the sleeve and the design and the whole thing but uh, where I recorded it in Dustward Studios in Stockholm. That guy is like an old punker, old mod kind of guy. He was in this band, uh, Henry Fiat's Open Sore, <laughs> great band. And uh, he really, he gets it. Yeah. All the musicians, they, you know, basically just lay down, like in a couple of takes, everything's done. For the sleeve, uh, uh, my buddy Doug Dean, who he's done stuff mainly for like anti-flag and bands like that he's like really good he was like so like what kind of sleeves do you like and i was like i like record sleeve that that looks like the, the way the music sounds yeah and and it like looks like some kind of like left-wing poster that's been like glued to a wall but it's been yeah. sort of faded in a way and I'm I'm so pleased with the whole package, the the sleeve, the production value, the musicians, everything, and even my own contribution on like, yeah, all right, these songs are okay. Like I I, I did that. Like the the only thing that like because I'm a bass player now, I'm sitting there. I could have done that part better. <laughs> but that's, that's always the case yes. <laughs> but apart from that i'm very happy about the album yeah thanks yeah <laughs> some of your other musical choices can can you tell us a little bit about your your bandmates because i know sometimes if it is a solo project people tend to get left in the background a little bit but um who have you, who have you got working with you um yeah uh let's see um the other vocalist anna philipson she used to sing in my old punk band knugen faller she was the singer in that band she's this amazing raw talent her music is like flows so naturally in a way i it's one of those rare occasions because she's not really in a band or in the scene or whatever but she came down to the studio and knocked the album out in one one night's take you know and you know then she walks home and takes care of you know the kids and whatever you know she's just like comes in 
a vulgar display of power and then leaves and it's just like the best thing you ever heard you know? <laughs> That's, so, so i was very lucky to have her mm. and then uh, the drummer percussionist is um his name is Juni Hapala. he is um the drummer of a very famous swedish punk band called Delukliga Kompisarna they've been around since the late 80s early 90s and uh, because he's also like this rude boy skinhead kind of guy you know that kind of he comes from that scene a little bit but he's also he's the percussionist in sweden's biggest music television show like it's like a dancing with the stars kind of thing where you have a live band and celebrities yeah yeah so he plays percussion in that band he because he went to cuba in the 90s and you stayed and learned how to play Latin percussion. And he's like one of the best Latin percussionists in Sweden, maybe yeah. the best. But he's also like one of the fastest punk drummers as well. <laughs> so he's like perfect in my world, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he loves he loves ska and reggae and skinhead music. So great. Well, that's and, good because uh, that's, you get some of that influence in the album, don't you? There is, there is quite a a scar influence running through the record, you know, on, a, on quite a few of the tracks, you know, so that uh, it definitely shows. Yes, and thank you for no- noticing that. But he would say stuff like in the, in the studio, like, so for this song, I'm going to tune my snare drum to where the specials had it on Concrete Jungle. <laughs> like, great. Like, you get it <laughs> right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I got him. And then Fredrik Eriksson plays guitar. He plays guitar in a band called No Fun At All like an old skate punk band from Sweden. But he also used to play in a band called 2.8, and they were great. And he was in uh, Alonso and Fast 3, a band that I had. So I, I got to know him that way. And the other guitar player is uh, Simon Dahlberg. He's also in the Lykia Kompisana with Uni. He is a fast punk guitarist, but he's also very... He plays a lot of... Um, Latin and salsa and flamenco and acoustic and stuff like that and he's a guitar teacher so I was like okay you know this will be great everyone's like 10 times better than me at everything they're doing so <laughs> and uh, you're the boss have, oh yeah I'm the boss I, I mean I got them together that yeah. I can take credit for that <laughs> and then we have uh, Lars Ekman on keys he, he's um, he's been like in punk bands and rock bands in Stockholm and he's easygoing and he gets it that's it that's us well it's great and i, I said we'll um we'll be playing a couple more tracks from the album throughout this episode i'll put a feature up at retromanblog.com to go along with this podcast with links to where you can buy the album and um it's uh, certainly well worth investing in and um, thank we'll you look forward to hearing some more tracks and let's go back to the very beginning so you know what was your earliest musical memory you know i mean when you were a, were a kid or something was there something that you, you actually remember that sparked you off on this musical journey oh yeah there was always music in my in my house because my dad is a guitar player and he played in, in a band back then. So it was accessible in that way, but it didn't hit me until 1984 when uh, they started showing like half an hour a week or one hour a week on public Swedish public television. We only had two channels at the time. They started to show like pop videos and rock videos and, and 1984 was like the golden era for it, you know? Mm. And uh, then I heard Kiss for the first time. They had just released a single called Heavens on Fire from their then current album Animalize, which is not one of their strongest in my opinion. But 
seeing that video, hearing that song, the drums, that, that guitar riff that's kind of like it wants to do more and heavy drums and long hair and Gene Simmons had like a bass that looked like an axe and, you know, burning in the video. And I was seven at the time. <laughs> I realized that I like music now. Yeah, like yeah. it was just like, I, it's so clear to me how that happened. Like I, mm. I was like, okay, heavy metal. That's mm. what I like. Mm. And um, just to make a side note, but a long story short, in Sweden in the 80s, we had a very... Um, moral panic just like in the uk with like video nasties and stuff like that we had the same thing here and also like the negative influence of like hard rock and stuff like heavy metal on on, on young children and, and, and youth yeah so i was met with a lot of hostility from teachers from grown-ups for all for liking this music and i had no idea what the songs were about i couldn't speak a word of english or anything but the music just filled me with a positive vibe i mm. I, I got happy from listening to this music so i could not connect what was so wrong with it with when it made me so happy so maybe yeah. i became a punk already at that point i don't know all right well let's let's hear that shall we let's hear kiss. yeah let's head bang <laughs> this is kiss and heaven's on fire yay <laughs> about becoming a musician what was there a, a, something that sparked you off from that transition of to say oh, i want to form a band i want to i want to become a musician i want to make music now was there something that um again sparked you off on that yeah definitely um if we continue from kiss when i'm like seven years old and you make cardboard guitars and all that um i uh made a transition from from them to like more british things like you know iron maiden and uh i, I came into that kind of stuff like late 80s i was 10 that was the music that spoke to me 
I grew up very isolated. I grew up in a small village. 500 people lived there. And it was all like, you know, it's a church, a factory and ice hockey. And that's kind of it. And I was something different. And with music, I could sort of connect and travel in my head. Yeah. And uh, so, so metal kept me going. And in the early 90s, a wave of like the death metal thing swept through Sweden and the rest of the world. And the first show I ever went to was a death metal show. I went to see Entombed and <laughs> some other bands in a school cafeteria. It was awesome. <laughs> and I liked all of that. And it also appealed to me as a 13, 14-year-old outcast. You know, I, I, I didn't really fit in. And I, I felt a sense of, of being an outsider, not, not fitting in socially, not like fitting in, in school, being kind of young and awkward and all that. And the death metal thing appealed to me. The metal thing appealed to me. Thrash, Metallica, all that kind of stuff. But then I heard the exploited for the first time in my life. And that just turned everything around for me because they have just released The Massacre. I think that, that album, that's an album that looks like a thrash metal album, the, the, yeah. the sleeve. It's produced like a thrash metal album, but the songs are punk songs, punk mm. structures, riffs are repetitive, and the drum beats are... And then the vocals are cranked up. I couldn't understand the words. It was a good thing that it came with like a lyric sheet and all that. And <laughs> either. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder, like, how do you, like, no, how do you understand Wadi in the UK? Like, <laughs> it's like Scottish uh, aggressive hedonist, that is, you know. And the songs were called, like, Police Shit, Fuck Religion. It's an even the song called Don't Pay the Poll Tax. And it kind of, it, it cued me into what was going on. But that sense of being that direct mm. and the music being so aggressive, it was made for me. So that the exploited made all my metal and hard rock mm. music obsolete for a long time. Like I found something different. Yeah. So that album, Exploited, The Massacre, thank you very much. It destroyed my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's hear the band that set you on the road to ruin then. This is the exploited and the title track from the album. This is The Massacre. Fantastic. So you're saying the, the exploited influenced you to to become a musician as such, you know? But you obviously known as a, as a bass player. I mean, did you? Was there something that influenced you to say, right, I want to be a bass player? Uh, yeah, for some reason, I was never really attracted to playing 
guitar. You know, I, I don't know where that came from, but that was also because of punk, because bass was very upfront because a lot of bands just like the exploited or discharge, or uh, I said, anti League, another band that I really like a lot of those bands, the old school sex pistols, there's one bass, one guitar, and one drummer. This is like that's what it is. And you have a singer. So all musicians do make room for each other mm. in the songs. And I could start to listen to bass lines. And with the exploited, it was perfect because all of them were like it's like a box on your on your fretboard. It's yeah. like there's a and then they're like, I can hear, I can figure this, I, I can do this, I can do this. And they're like, well, yeah, fuck you, I want you, what you tell me. That, you know, perfect. <laughs> so that all of a sudden I start to listen here. I could hear bass in a different way than I had done in, in very intricate metal music. And yeah, it was just accessible, easy, and yeah, sounded cool. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. I think punk, brought, you know, did bring out some fantastic bass players. And I recently did a podcast um, with Buddy Ascot of the Chords, and we talked about it was based on the rhythm section. So we picked our favourite drummers and, and bassists and bass lines and things over the years. And and I was a bass player, and I was influenced by people because you could hear the bass, like JJ Benell of the Stranglers. You had Peter Hook, New Order. You had all these bands oh, yeah. where, and then there was a band Bruce from, Foxton, Bruce Foxton Bruce- of the Jam. Yeah, he, he to me with noise conspiracy and all that, that was extremely influential. His style, yeah, but but you could hear the bass and and it was influential, mm-hmm. you know. And I think we also picked you as one of our favorite bass players, you know. Um, I'm honored. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and it, it was up for sale. We love the bass intro to up for sale because again, I think there was a very much jam influence on that track in in particular, you know. You don't say. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> just a subtle one, you know. I know it's difficult, but pick a track to illustrate your one of your favorite bassists. All right. Uh, well, it, it's a go-to for a lot of bass players, I guess, but probably my favorite bass player when it comes to just sound and the way of uh, complementing guitar and drums, that's Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath. Another, another you know, British influence in my life. I'm, 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 I'm very... British for being a Swede who has lived in the US. But well, yeah, there you go. (laughs) But Black Sabbath was also, I got into punk and I listened to all those like really, really cool, you know, bass players and and like fundamental. As you said, you know, I was listening to Rainy, I was listening to, uh, yeah, Raining in Discharge, then I was listening to Bruce Foxton, I was listening to Peter Hook in, you know, Joy Division, Simon Gallup in The Cure, um, people like that who played linear, cool things, yeah. uh, Paul, Paul Simonon of The Clash, of course, like hearing that kind of dub mm. thing, and I started to learn how to play those things, and for some reason... In my teenage years, I rediscovered heavy metal again and, and went back to the roots because I became a bit of a musical archaeologist, as we all become. And 
I rediscovered Black Sabbath when I was a teenager. And I had learned how to play bass a little bit. And then I heard like Geezer Butler for the first time again. And I, and I was like, I, I want to be that guy. Mm. Uh, can I be that guy? Mm. So uh, <laughs> with the international noise conspiracy, he was always like my main influence and always, you know, having a drummer like Ludwig, as we had in that band, was a pretty solid uh, guy to sort of lean on when it comes to playing a bit. Um, as Black Sabbath, I think they're the greatest rhythm section in rock history. Bill Ward and Geezer Butler. Um, a song like Iron Man, where, you know, the song starts galloping and they pick it up. You know, you have to be a tight together band in a room to pull something like that together in, in the 70s. Mm. And Geezer Butler and Bill Ward really sort of redefined my idea of like what bass and drums can do. I want to play like Geezer. Like I played the riff, the guitar riff almost as the mm. guitar, but I throw in... I like to throw in those jazzy runs in between mm. that also kind of mirror the vocal line and all that, what he did. And if I have to pick a song, that would be like of all Black Sabbath songs, and that's kind of impossible, but uh, War Pigs. Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at Black Masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Wash my hands. Oh, yeah. So, Inga, let's talk about your first band, your early bands. You know what? I mean, you you said you were sort of um, out in the sticks a little bit in Sweden. How did you did you get together locally with people? Did you find other like-minded musicians in your local town? When I was uh, fourteen, I started a new school in town, not out in the sticks. This was like nineteen ninety, and it it was a different time. It was the previous millennium, you know. And back then, it was very much like. It's sports or music or church or something like that, you know. And a couple of friends in school and they told me they had a band and that they played like some thrash metal and some, you know, punk. And I barely knew what that was. But I 
kind of hooked up with them and we started a band and I was 15 when I played my first ever show. We played maybe a set of like six songs at a um, the end of the semester before summer break. And we had been practicing for like half a year before that. And we were pretty good for being a bunch of like 15, 16 year olds. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, we actually played one exploited song. I remember that. We did Dead Cities. We did that oh, yeah. one. <laughs> that was my first band. We were called Stand Still. That was our name. And then we had it. And we lasted for about a year or whatever. But I remember just that first show being on stage and playing this loud music with electric guitars and drums and having a PA and this music that was fast coming at all these clueless people, all of a sudden, it, feeling of empowerment and, and the feeling of, of rush and feeling of, we know something you don't know anything about, and you're going to have to relate to it for like 20 minutes. That feeling, it felt so good. I can't, I can't like, I still remember it. I still remember, like, how important that moment in my life was of standing and performing live music and 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 i counted like not that long ago like i've, I've played over 1500 shows in my life and still mm. the same you know i i love going out on stage and that that moment of like anticipation when it the climaxes with like meeting the audience and mm. and the electricity of it's the biggest cliche and everybody's talked about it but i'm so hooked to it so let's pick up one of your First bands, I mean, some early recordings and bands. When, when was the first band that you sort of actually got together and you, you got into a studio and got, got a record out? And how did that feel at the time? Yeah, uh, that was a band called uh, Totalt Jävla Mörker. Also a Swedish tongue twist for you. Totalt Jävla Mörker means total fucking darkness. That was the name of the band. Best band name <laughs> in the history of band names. <laughs> and... Uh, we were actually, it was a few years after that first band that I talked about. I was, I was out of a band for a couple of years. The 90s kind of sucked for me, you know? It was just, you know, it was, just, it was terrible. Mm. Like, no one in my school had heard of the specials. Mm. They were into, like, Nirvana and Stone, Tem- Stone Temple Pilots and stuff like that. Mm. You know, I had nothing. And, and now I see that stuff is, like, coming back, especially in the U.S., and I'm like... Mm. Oh man, I was like, can I stop it somehow or what, what's gonna happen? But when, <laughs> when that kind of, <laughs> when that died down, there was a, like a brief, like hardcore wave in Sweden that was pretty big with bands like Refused and Abinanda and stuff like that. And then older Swedish hardcore bands were still had some kind of a second wind, like bands like Anti Cmex and uh, like legendary hardcore stuff. I hooked up with those guys who were like really into that new wave of hardcore, like Refused, as I mentioned, and and some American bands that sort of baggy pants, aggressive metal hardcore. But they also had this like fascination for like black metal and stuff like that, way before it became a hipster thing. (laughs) We kind of... uh, the, the name Total Fucking Darkness is from a, a, a demo by Cradle of Filth. They're, I think it's, the, it's called Total Fucking Darkness. That's where we took it from. 
And we wanted to combine the, the aggression of, of uh, that metal hardcore thing with that sort of militant, sort of vegan straight edge mm. uh, attitude that was very like popular at the time, but mix it with some kind of chaotic black metal thing that made it sound very like threatening or, 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 or uh, at least that's how we dreamed about it. And then like base it around like a discharge, like DB mm. thing. That was the first band that I ever recorded and released anything with, a 7-inch. And then I did two albums with them. And I want to play a song from the, the second album that we did together. It's called, uh, yeah, the band is called uh, Total Tjävla Mörker, Total Fucking Darkness. And the song is called uh, Under Sion's Kalla Stjärna, which means uh, Under the Cold Stars of Sion. And it's actually me and... Um, the other singer Anders on vocal, so you can hear me. I'm not playing bass, I'm just singing, quote unquote. blew my eardrums out <laughs> yeah that, that's the <laughs> that's the idea that's the yeah. purpose of it and uh, that was the first band that i actually recorded with and i was in that band before i joined noise conspiracy and all that so i came sort of more from that angle of punk so to speak and that band actually we toured a lot in scandinavia and we even got invited to play you know the Hultsred festival which is like a legendary big festival here and I do think it was the fact that we were like the only DB thrash hardcore punk band that actually we were smart enough to like write the press kit and send out CDs to, uh, you know, journalists or it wasn't blogs around at the time, but, you know, people who wrote about music and we, we actually connected with bookers and festivals and instead of just keeping it within the, you know, preaching to the choir it seemed like a lot of people, like festivals in Sweden or, or, or venues or, or hip clubs, wanted to book us to get this freak show, you know? <laughs> and we always delivered. Like, we drew people. People came to see us. We had a fan base. Yeah. We, we were always, like, the kind of nicest, most, like, polite people coming into a venue <laughs> like this and just, like, talking like this and being, like, very, very... And, like, you barely noticed us when we rolled in our gear and sat up and we barely ever spoke, you know, <laughs> kind yeah. of that kind of band. And then 
you know, the place packed and they were like, like hit you in the face. And then we sat there backstage like, all right, like, I think we're out of soda now. Oh, too bad. (laughs) Okay. That's just, uh, so uh, yeah, that was the first band that I, that I ever recorded with. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that when they packed it in three years ago, 2007, because that was like 17, sorry. It was a 20 year anniversary of the first seven inch. So they did a tour in Scandinavia and they invited me back to do the the farewell tour. Yeah. And it was the best. So much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like reconnecting with old mates, having a good time on the road, doing really good shows. It was just a a bundle of joy to to do that. And I'm so happy that things, when you break up a band, it can be like, you know, a divorce or Mm. something like that. But we had a blast. We had a yeah. great time, and everybody was in it for the same reasons. And wow, yeah. The so I'm, I'm very, I've been very lucky in that sense, you know. Yeah, it's great. So then um, you mentioned Refused, um, yeah. Swedish hardcore legends, um, and then you went on to to join International Noise Conspiracy, which was Refused frontman's Dennis's new band, which again became really popular over here in the UK. You know, there was a big wave of Swedish music coming over, like the soundtrack of our lives. There was um, Randy. There was obviously the Hives at the time, the Cardigans, and International Noise Conspiracy. So, yeah. Um, how did you hook up with um, with Dennis? And tell us about your time with International Noise Conspiracy. I had seen Refused a couple of times because the remember the first band that I talked about that played at school and all that? Mm. The drummer from that band, he ended up, the guitar player in Refused around 95, 96. And then we reconnected. I was living up in the sticks far up north and Refused were based in Umeå, uh, about like two and a half hours south. Mm. It doesn't sound like much, but like geographically, but culturally and, and socially, it was a very big, like two different worlds, basically. And they had a very, very thriving and influential hardcore scene down there. Still, you want to be where, where things happen. So I, I moved to Umeå. I had met Dennis at a couple of occasions at Refuse shows or whatever shows or just talked and said hello and introduced myself and all that. And then I moved down to Umeå uh, in 97, summer of 97. And it's like, that's like the best thing I ever done in my life was moving to Umeå. I have to say, like it was, you know, that's where my life started. It's a small town. It's like one hundred and thirty thousand people, something like that. But it had like a university, a Volvo factory, a hockey team, a hardcore uh, scene. It was, it had it all. You know, it was an animal rights movement. I got to know Dennis around that time. Because we always went to the same shows, like, and, and always hung out at the same, you know, cafes or whatever. You And uh, I think we connected that in the sense that both of us liked a lot of, like, 60s music. Mm. I had sort of dipped my toe into that. I was a big Beatles fan. I still am. And, and he introduced me to, like, the small faces and stuff like that that I hadn't heard before. And we started talking about like stuff like that, that we liked, you know, small faces, the who, the jam. And at that point, Refused was, they were kind of imploding and uh, they were in Sweden, they were massive. In Europe, they were sort of a smaller club size band, as far as I can gather from right now. In the US, they were 
nothing but well connected with people. And Dennis wanted to do something that was more connected to uh, 60s tradition of, of, uh, of mod R&B beat mixed up with punk. And also during that time, that was the time when the Nuggets box set, the CD box set was yeah. released like 98, 99. Mm. When that music had a revival and we tapped into that as well and decided to try to make our version of that kind of music. Yeah. And that's how we started. That was in 98. That's when we started. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and such so a great was, live, live band at the time. I mean, the dynamics were, were, were sort of fantastic, you know, great live acts. But you've chosen, um, you've chosen a track for your, your last album. Yeah, I did, because I do believe that that album was never really properly released in the US or Europe or and didn't have any backing and didn't have any like it went pretty unnoticed hmm. but so that's why I kind of just wanted to instead of playing like smash it up or something that everyone's already heard I, I want to play something that that's I think it's very true to our sound but a bit more developed and and from a time where we still like tried really hard and and wanted to push things forward so here's uh Hiroshima Mun Amor. great track and I, and I think you're right it was an album which which should sort of um didn't get enough credit really I don't think you know it was um I mean I know in England we're we're very cynical the music press about 
foreign bands, you know, I mean, there was that, there becomes, it becomes fashionable at, at sometimes like there was with the Swedish invasion that we call yeah. it, um, which you were a big part of. And then they go on to the next thing and it's, that's it, you know, and I think that's probably why I think the album was probably released just after in England, the music press had moved on to the next, the next trend and the next fad, which was a big shame, you know. Yeah, it's it's a shame. The UK is really hard to break from an outsider. I mean, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, they got us like from the start. And we were way bigger in the US and way bigger in Australia than we ever were in the UK. We could always do good shows in London mm. and we could do like Reading and Leeds and download. But as soon as you start tour the land in the UK and you... And it's not like university towns or whatever. It can be pretty rough around the edges, you know. You become spoiled when yeah. you have success in other places and all of a sudden, like, you have to sort of scale down again. That's mm. That was always the UK for us in some ways, you know. So. <laughs> started a record label with Dennis as well yes we started a record label <laughs> yeah we did and we had a it was called Nivog, which means uh, new wave and we basically started that Dennis started it and I helped out uh, once it got rolling because we had such a great punk scene in Umeå at the time we had the Lost Patrol band we had regulations we had the vicious we had mass history we had uh, Knugen Fadler um, UX Vileheads great 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 punk bands we tried to do sort of a blood stains across sweden but right here and now you know it was kind of a retro thing very very uh conceptual scene mm. but it was such a great vibe in the town like so many good bands and it was a positive exchange of attitude and uh, energy and everybody came to see each other's bands play and we started to feel like we could generate a new generation of uh, musicians and, and kids playing music. And that's why New Vogue started the, the record label. And we also started uh, doing club nights, oh. uh, New Vogue club nights, where like usually me or Dennis would DJ and we had a live band. And punks came, indie kids came, the kids that would go to dance to house music came. You know, it was just like a very open-minded time and it was such a communal wonderful time it's like between like 2003 and 2007 8 around that time 
it's an honor and a privilege that I was a part of that. And, and I have the, the fondest memories of, of that time where music once again, like came alive in my life and I was a part of something bigger again and, and, and felt very at home. And yeah, that's, um, we started that label to document that time and that scene. I see. Yeah, I think Dennis is a, is a really inspirational figure, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's a great character and uh, it must have been great to, to have worked with him. And um, did you actually play in a lineup of The Refused at, at one point? Uh, I did one show. <laughs> yeah, in '97, I was there for a second, you know, but I, I wasn't a good fit, I suppose. But I mean, Dennis is still one of my best friends, and he's like my—it's like my bigger brother, you know. We said that to each other like not that long ago. Like, can you imagine? Like, we've been able to stand each other for more than twenty years now. <laughs> that must mean something. And be in a band together and run a record label together and still be friends. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I'm very grateful for his friendship and for the fact that, yeah, we shared the world for 11 years together with the band. Yeah. And we've seen all sides of each other. Yeah. And still our relationship has just grown as friends. And I'm so grateful. Like, I'm I'm very, very lucky. Mm. So having, yeah, label, club band together yeah we've been through a lot <laughs> yeah that's fantastic you know and and what a great band international noise conspiracy i mean we i mean we're talking about great bass players and drummers and Lude, ludwig Lude, Darf, yeah. and, uh, who i know is, is now in free fall or was in free fall um now he's in indochine in, um, in in france yeah. doing very well but what doing very team. well to say the least yeah. yeah good for him good for him i'm very yeah. very happy that uh all of a sudden he just ended up in the biggest band in france like <laughs> how do you even do that <laughs> i can't even you know make it to a mid-sized band in yeah. <laughs> i don't know in uh somewhere but he's in the biggest band in france i think it's amazing i'm so happy yeah. for him you know he um the first album he did with them went platinum I mean, in France, but I mean, still, how cool is that? So, Dennis is doing Refused, and 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 Ludwig is in is, is in Indochine, Indochine, and Sara, who who was also in the International Noise Conspiracy, she's in Invasion with Dennis. Yeah. So I'm so happy that like all of them went on to do cool things by their own merit on their own merits you know mm, yeah. i think that's amazing and that we're still like all every time i talk to dennis i, I get happy same thing mm. with sara or ludwig we have this bond like there's no weird sort of uh dynamics where we can't yeah. be happy for each other yeah it's just i i love that it's great that you had all these good strong characters in the band you know i think it came across especially live the dynamic was so good you know
So you've um, you've gone on to play with and s- some amazing bands. You know, you're after international noise conspiracy. You know, you've played with CSS, which was again that was a, that was an unusual one. You know, great Brazilian <laughs> electronic pop punk band. I mean, they were again a fantastic live act. How, how do you <laughs> yeah. get play with them? Well, it was one of those weird things where I played with them in 2011 and 2012 as a hired gun, that kind of thing. And I had seen them live in Sweden in 2008, and I thought they were great. Like, I remember them being like, this is odd, this is cool. Like, they look amazing, they sound different. They have like this punky, sort of cut and pastey, fun attitude towards music, but it's electronic and it got like a, there's like a Latin vibe in it. And I was blown away, I thought they were great. And in 2011, my friend Anders, who is in Invasion, he has called me out of the blue and said like, hey, uh, have you heard that band CSS from Brazil? And I was like, yeah, saw them live. They were great, you know, they were, well, they're going on a European tour and their bass player quit, like just before the tour. And they're desperately looking for a bass player for to fill in on the European tour. And I thought maybe you would be interested in that. I was like, you know what? I, I have an, an email to their tour manager or whatever and i just dropped him a line and said like i heard you're looking for a bass player what's the setup what's the you know when's the tour and all that and and they said like yeah we know a little bit about you and the international noise conspiracy we know we know about that like the tour starts in two weeks do you want to do it here's a set list like you know 20 something songs and i was like sure i never met a person in the band i never met anyone in the organization just booked me like a flight ticket to the first show in Berlin. And that was not even like, I'm like, are we going to practice? What's going No, just show up. And you now I learned the songs and I just walked in for a sound check. Like, yeah. hi, I'm your new bass player. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like set up my gear. And just like, wow. okay. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty nerve wracking. But I mean, Love Fox and Louise and Carol and Anna and JR. Like, I love them. The greatest people. And they're so much fun to be around and so inspiring. And we had so much fun playing live together. It felt like such an honor and a privilege to have toured with them. And I still, you know, I connect so much with them. They're like my Brazilian soul sisters, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they they were such a fantastic live act, you know. I mean, they were so colorful and vibrant. Yeah. What a great band. And... I mean, pick us a track that you enjoyed from CSS. Give us a... Yeah, I would like to uh, play City Girl then because it was the new single when I joined the band. It was like the the song that I had heard and all of a sudden I had heard it and all of a sudden like I was supposed to go on tour and play it. It was just one of those things where like it's not only the music coming to me, like I came to the music as well. <laughs> I wish...
And you've also worked with um, so Nick Anderson for Imperial State Electric and uh, yep. one of his um, projects. Tell us about that. Nick is one of those guys that I've been aware of him since the early 90s, since, you know, his days in Entombed and all that, and helicopters, of course. And uh, one day, I was still in living in Umeå at the time, 2010, I believe this was. All of a sudden, Nick, he calls me out of the blue and just like, hi, like, what's up? You know, you know, when we chat, we just talk about kiss most of the time that's what we do and i was thinking like oh another kiss talk why not you know and then it was like so um we're recording a new album with imperial state electric uh we're doing it now and dolph you know the bass player uh who is now in the helicopters by the way in a very incestuous scene in sweden he uh he's on tour because he was in the datsuns too but we're we're going on with the recording as of now and and uh can you come down to stockholm and play bass for a couple of songs for the new Imperial State Electric album. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's, day after tomorrow and one day and we'll record two songs. And he had like a plan, exactly, yeah. this is what we're going to do. I was like, yeah. And he sent me a demo with uh, two songs where he played everything and it sounded amazing. And I was like, what am I going to do? So <laughs> called him and said like this sounds so good your bass playing is great what's my angle like why why don't you do this just yourself and why why did you pick me and it's like he said something like you're really good at playing the riff almost playing the riff and then doing things in between just play those songs like like you would play them mm-hmm. and i was like okay and i just flew down and me and thomas and the drummer that's thomas and, and nick yeah we spent a day in the studio and just banged out two songs for the pop war album and yeah that was one of those like amazing experiences that this living legend nick anderson who's done so much amazing music all of a sudden like i'm in the back of his head somewhere like as a go-to bass player that's a big thing for me you know so I was very happy to come down to Stockholm and, and record that. So, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> uh, give us your choice of one of the songs that you, you played your interpretation of the bass riff on. Yeah, it's called Deride and Conquer from Pop War, and it's a great song. <laughs>
Yeah, that was a fantastic track um, there by Imperial State Electric, um, Deride and Conquer. But I'd like you to um, tell a little bit about our mutual friends the most. We've played them on the podcast for, for, for years, seen them play over here in London and a great, great bunch. And uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about your time with the most. That was a good time. I was still living in Umeå at the time. And as I said, Umeå was um, not a very big place but it had a lot of culture and a lot of music at least when i lived there and the most they were a bit like older guys they were not a part of the punk or hardcore scene but they had been into punk and doing music since late 70s early 90s and they used to play the new vogue uh, club nights we thought they were just like a great band and a great fit because everybody was doing kind of conceptual music anyway and all of a sudden those mob guys just show up and play excellent danceable soulful rock music and we loved them and kind of just got connected and then their bass player moved to stockholm and franz the singer guitar player just called me one day and asked if i wanted to fill in and and i did and i, I stuck with them for a while and <laughs> it was yeah. it, it was one of those like one thing leads to the other situations and i stayed with them for a couple of years and did one lp and and one like we played a bunch of we played mostly in sweden but we also went to berlin and we played uh played in liverpool we played tried to sort of do as much as we could on our terms and it's great and there's still a band and they're still making music and it's all good and it all sounds amazing and and I'm 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 a very I'm I'm lucky to have been there as well. They have a another bass player now, Martin. He's great. Well, they're a great great band and and I'd like to 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 play a track which I think is features a great little bass riff from you, which is uh, very much in the John Entwistle mode. This is uh, the most and take a track taken from their auto destructive art album. This is really good. You're getting good at this now Really good You kick me when I'm down Really good You're getting good at this now Really good You kick me when I'm down Really good Turn down your great expectations Tune in and listen to what I gotta say Slow down, you might trip and fall this is your chance and I'll be away You're getting good at this now Really good You kick me when I'm down Really good Yeah, you're getting good at this now Really good You kick me when I'm down Really good You're getting good at this now Really good You kick me when I'm down
it's, uh, it's it's good fun to to go through some of your your musical adventures and um, oh, there, it just reminds me of um we have another mutual friend is um dick york and you played with crisis i did yeah Crisis and dick was actually it was my very first interview special in my podcast was with dick york and an artist called david apps one of his friends and that he dick was my very first um interview victim i mean um guest you know and, um, <laughs> victim guest whatever you want to call it yeah and uh that, and i did a couple of gigs with tv smith of the adverts i did oh. promotions and and dick was the support band and um he was in a band called stay pressed like a sort of mod revival yeah, yeah a mod band like yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah and then he was doing crisis and he did a, a couple of shows with me um in south end with tv smith and uh, you know lovely guy and um Wrote, he's a great songwriter, and I, I didn't yeah. know but you. You actually toured with him as well, and I know they're very big in Germany, of all places, aren't they? A big, very big band. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Um, I did one album and and one long tour and a few few gigs. That was because of the drummer, uh, basically, the drummer uh, Vom Ritchie, who plays drums in in Crisis. Mm. Um, he was in a band in the UK called Doctor and the Medics, yeah, yeah. and the, uh, I, I'm a fan too, and. Then he ended up joining uh, Die Totenhosen, which is mm. in the UK. I don't know how well known they are, but in Central Europe, they're massive. Mm. And they've been massive for 30 plus years. They're, I mean, they're, they're a stadium punk band, you know, like they're bigger than Offspring, bigger than Green Day. They were like, you know, we actually... With the, the International Noise Conspiracy, we did two tours supporting them in Germany. And that was crazy. It was the first time we were on like stadiums and, 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 and you know, big, big venues like that. And I befriended the drummer, Vom, who is uh, Stephen George Ritchie is his real name. And he's, he's from the UK, but he moved to Germany to, to become a rock star, you know, and, <laughs> and he did. You know, we did those tours and all that. And all of a sudden, I remember I was actually, I was rehearsing with the most. And then I get a text message from a number in Germany that I don't have on my phone. And I was like, hi, this is Vom from the Tottenhausen. How are you doing? Like, blah, blah, blah. I have this band called Crisis and we're going on tour and we don't have a bass player. Like, would you mind coming down to Germany and play a few shows with us? <laughs> Yeah, sure, why not? Because I remembered him, that he was like funny and outgoing and yeah. all that. I, that was how it started. That's how I met Dick and Tripp, also the other guys of the band. Like, yeah. So I flew down to Düsseldorf to rehearse with them. And you know, they had given me the, you know, the songs and I learned them. And we rehearsed at Vom's place. And it was funny because I asked him after, because me and Vom, we became close friends and we still are but i asked him then like okay what made you like of all bass players in the world like you you decided to sort of just send me a text and see if i was up for it he was like well you know like when we toured with the host and you you walked in with a discharge shirt i knew that we were gonna work together (laughs) i was like all right fair enough Fantastic. Well, I mean, they're, they're, it's great, um, you know, to see that you work with, with Christ. As I said that uh, Dick's an excellent songwriter, and um, you picked a really, really good track that really, I think, highlights his songwriting skills. You know, yeah. You picked "Time of Our Lives" from their Curse or Nights album. So should yep. we hit that? We should hit that. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is a crisis, time of our lives. So we were talking about um, bands like Die Tottenhosen and uh, Indochine and all these huge bands which sing in their native language. And yeah. in Sweden, like Hawk and Hellstrom, they're playing stadiums and massive yep. bands. But especially in England, you know, maybe in America too, you know, we're not very good on, <laughs> on dealing with foreign language bands. You know, it's very rare that um, they transfer well over to our sales, musical sales, you know. But obviously, Gartaplan, you've decided to, to sing in Swedish. Yeah. Did you, did you consider the options of, of what would it be like commercially if you were to sing an album, produce an album in Swedish? Or did you think about the language part of it? I did, especially because I started writing the songs for that album while I was still living in the US. There's always been great punk bands in Sweden since the 70s and 80s doing punk in Swedish that was very influential in my life. Songs and bands and all that, that really spoke to me. And since I wanted to sort of reboot myself, I decided to um, basically go back to the roots to, to do Swedish punk because I've done that before. And also because, you know, to pay tribute to that tradition, I felt like if I'm doing stuff in Swedish, I won't feel the same pressure as in trying to, to sort of compete with people who are doing punk rock in English if it 
you know, it's their first language. It's where they come from. It's, it, it's, it's the most natural thing. For me, it would have been not an obstacle, but in a way, I thought it would be less pressure on me for some reason. And I just wanted to do this music for for fun and for uh, a sort of, as I said, a, a reboot in my own life with music and all that and, and, and make music with people that I really enjoy <clears throat> spending time with. So I understand that it's like, uh, you know, why would people in the UK and the US care about rock music done in other languages than, than English? I totally get that because that's the origin of that music and that culture and it's so tied in with language and how you phrase stuff and how you sing and 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 words that would never work in a conversation work so well in a song and and like having positive Gotteplan reviews coming in from Germany in German or in English or in Spanish it's like wow for me it's just like a big bonus on the side I never expected that to happen but it did and and i'm happy and people ask me are you gonna do something in english and then i'm like i don't know maybe german maybe spanish you know <laughs> like, well, i can't take it any direction at this yeah, point <laughs> whatever happens happens uh but it was it was basically back to the roots paying tribute to my swedish punk roots mm. mixing it up with what i've learned so far i guess <laughs> well, it's good. It's good to see that, you know. And I think, I think musically, it does transcend sort of languages. It's one of those albums which I think is going to get great reviews, regardless. It just works. And I think, to, I mean, to me, maybe it's different because, like I said, I do. I am aware. I'm not. I'm not naive about it that foreign language records don't transfer well over yeah. here in the UK. But um, you know, I mean, again, Retrosonic Podcast. Our last episode, we had bands singing in Brazilian. There's French. We we have everything. We've got. It's. It doesn't matter. I agree. And. I'm very much of a lyrics person. I love lyrics and I love storytelling and stuff like that in, in music. But sometimes I just need to know a few keywords mm. and a few sentiments of a song to get the song, like emotionally. Yeah. And that's how I connected with, you know, a lot. I don't speak German, but I listen to a lot of German music, like sung in German, because I think it's just, a language that works really well with music. Mm. I don't speak Spanish, but I, I listen to Spanish, uh, people singing in Spanish. And to me, it's just like, I get what the song is about and I get the emotion of the song. And sometimes that's enough for me. This is a good time to pick a, a Gata Plan track. Um, oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> and let's, let's pick one. Well, you've chosen one as well, which I love. I love this track. And... Um, you don't need to speak Swedish to understand what this is about. This is Min Revolution. Yes. Punkarna kom och 1991 så blev jag en av dem För jag var trött så jag var byggd Ett mobbofer som drömde om en punkattityd Och skrev mina låtar i smyg Efter det så har jag levt mitt liv i marginalen Alltid punk, punkar, kär en rassens själ Det har varit galet, gammal nog att burit En nej till egen pin Men det heter fuck the world och inte for the win Att jag ser att jag har en Så 
generation we drew out in strife. Young men on Greek, they call us mods. That we were against the world's ganz ganz dolia odds. One gang drummers, so most of all, they wanted to be like the crash. Who era is the most shaken? Vara. They stopped us on the border. We were the terrorists. They had nothing to us, but what they didn't know is that. Landade på en sofa, kunde inte ta mig upp och inte ut Så särskilt ofta tittade i spegeln Och jag tittade på mig Med samma blick som hon i kassan när det medger sig Hjärta krossat igen utan ens Men inte med en vän Han klappade mig på axeln, sa du kommer igen Och att kärleken kommer, kärleken går Men en mick och en rick vet du alltid vart de står That's such a great track. I mean, I think the way you're phrasing it, it's a sort of almost like a rap version. But again, with the Swedish, it just sounds fantastic. You know, it works. And uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, uh, thank you. I love that song. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, you being from the UK, you have an ear for probably like the grime thing and like very British form of rap meets pop music instead of beats. That's been a thing in the UK for like almost 20 years at this point. And in Sweden, it's not so common. So people hear like, but you're kind of rapping. But to me, it's, yeah, maybe if you're like a, person more rooted in rock music that's what you hear yeah. so it's more of a interpretation uh matter i think uh when it comes to the way i sing but i'm very influenced by uh a lot of like the british uh the grime thing especially like mike skinner of the streets that stuff really blew my mind like yeah. when i heard it the first time that was just like one of those light bulb moments when mm-hmm. i heard Uh, a grand on come for free the first time that album is just like it, it's so good still mm-hmm. and then of course like i like people like the king blues uh i like uh mia the skin mm-hmm. stuff like that that just really resonated with me yeah. for got the plan and then i mixed it up with my swedish roots and like american sort of californian punk whatever so yeah but doing it in swedish gives it its own like both limitation and identity at the same time and we talked about um the sort of scar and influences and, and one of your sort of favorite records and that, that we were talking about over before that we did the podcast is the specials which again um great band from my youth that sort of 1978 79 time you know what a what a fantastic band and um Give, this is a tough choice, but give us one of your favorite specials tracks. 
Well, it, it, I, I really struggled with that one because I believe that the first Specials album is one of the most complete albums ever recorded in history of music. Mm. There's not a bad song on the entire album. The production is great. It's, I think it's Elvis Costello who actually produced it, at least like engineered or recorded it. But all the songs are great. The attitude is great. The lyrics are great. The playing is great. Everything, like the sleeve, everything comes together in such a magnificent statement mm. it's one of the most complete it's like a sergeant pepper thing you know it's so good and uh i tried to just like come up with what song is good on, like who, what stands out and i just had to pick one by random like you know i could just sort of <laughs> just, just like i could be anything but any song but it's gonna be nightclub Fantastic. That's specials and nightclub. And uh, as a musician, were you with regard to plan where we talked about the, the sort of cover art and we've already discussed the production of it and the, the track listing is fantastic. You know, did you, do you consciously sort of try and make that perfect album? I know sometimes bands put albums together and they, they're a collection of songs, but you know, do you, do you sort of think, ah, oh, I've got to make, this has got to be right. The track listing, the, the sequencing, the sound, the production, the cover art is a whole package, you know. Do you, are you conscious of that when you're sort of producing the album? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the idea develops during the process of, of making it. But when I started working on the album, I had a very clear vision. Like, I want it to sound like this and I want it to look like that. It was very, very clear to me what I wanted to do. And uh, I do think it comes from like being in, in bands like the International Noise Conspiracy or the most where everything comes together visuals and music and, and attitude and whatever so this was a natural uh, progression from that you know but more perhaps a bit more personal this time mm. or whatever but yeah definitely I, I i really like the album format still like i'm also singles guy but i like the pacing of an album and, and how you how you sort of make your way through <laughs> ups and downs and all that. So, uh, yeah, very conscious decision for sure about everything about Got Diplomis. Yeah. Let's play another little track from the album, Dee Dee Ramone. I mean, this is, you yep. released this as a single. Yep. Well, 
I mean, the song is just like, it's not really about Didi Ramon. The song is more, it's a punk rock love song because he was so good at writing those love songs with a weird twist to them. You know, it was always like some kind of dark undertone in, in his in his lyrics. And I wanted to write a punk rock love song in the spirit of Dee Dee. And, you know, it's easy to romanticize a guy like that for being, you know, an artistic genius. And of course, I I stole his style completely and, and all that. But I, um, at the same time, like, yeah, he's like this bipolar, bisexual, drug addict, with a switchblade, you know, <laughs> it's just like, okay, like it, it works better in theory in my life. <laughs> so that was like, my idea was that the song is called Didi Ramon because I wanted to sort of write a punk rock love song in, in the spirit of Didi Ramon's songs mm-hmm. and, and a pay tribute to, to the Ramones with that as well. Because Ramon's music is a part of my DNA. It's mm-hmm. a part of my who I am. And Ramon's was a very, very sort of founding influence on God the Plum because Ramon's had a lot of emotion mm-hmm. in their lyrics. There's a lot of very emotional lyrics and melodic, melodically driven uh, vocals. So that was a, a, an important influence for sure. And why not go all the way and write the song called Dean Ramon, you know? I mean, on, on the next album, there might be a song called Lemmy. I <laughs> yeah, Bass Players Union. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. sort of song or anything else that's sort of had a, a big influence on, on your musical life or even your life? Is there a song that's had an influence on your lifestyle or not just your music, but is there anything that sort of had such a big impact on you over the years? Yeah. Um, one band that I keep coming back to, uh, that's also from my teenage years and a band that sort of redefined punk for me both musically and when it came to an attitude or what you want to say is uh, uh, Leeds' own Shambawamba. They were uh, incredibly influential for me when I was a teenager because I had already come into that sort of more traditional, like 77 punk and, you know, as we talked about earlier, the discharge stuff. 
And all of a sudden, here's a band that other punks are telling me about that's sort of like the best kept secret of the scene, but they don't sound like a punk band, but they they were friends with Crass, apparently, and they wanted to be like a northern Crass, but they they wanted to make punk music out of contemporary pop music, done as a collective of eight people, mixing in some kind of like left-wing theater thing in, in their music. And in 94, they released an album called Anarchy that really, wow, that that's also one of those albums that like, it's like the soundtrack of, of my youth in a way. Mm. When when I listen to it, I am 17 again. It's yeah. It's one of those things where, and I hated being 70. It sucked. Being a teenager sucked. But it's just like they awoke a kind of curiosity in, in me like that I need to be open-minded for music. I need to be open. You never know what's there because their lyrics were fantastic and, and, and very connected to what was going on in the world. And they were um, trying to sort of push the, the envelope in so many ways. And I realized with Chambawamba that punk is what you make of it. Getting the Anarchy album in 94, I bought it together with a Refused album, actually. It was just like two CDs. Like I, I think it was like my birthday or whatever. I got some money and I got, I got going to get a Refused CD and this band Chambawamba that people told me about. And hearing that first song on Anarchy, it's a song called Give the Anarchist a Cigarette. I never heard anything like this, but this is also punk. Wow. <laughs> Well, let's hear it. Let's hear Chumba Wumba and give the anarchist a cigarette. been thoroughly enjoyable chatting to you Inga really enjoyed it it's um there's loads of great music for our listeners to follow up on and investigate further and, yeah <laughs> uh, I mean loads of stuff to sort of check out loads of different genres and um I said it's been uh, it's been great chatting and thank you so much for your time today thank you for having me Steve thank you so much
You're very welcome. So what I'll do, everybody, I'll put a, a, a feature at retromanblog.com and I'll put links to what Inga's up to um, and where you can buy the uh, Garter Plan album. And uh, yeah. said, uh, check back through our archive. Uh, there's, there's lots of stuff there, loads of Swedish and loads of foreign language music as well for you to enjoy. So check out Retrosonic Podcast at Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcast iTunes. And uh, so let's um, let's end where we came in. Let's end with another track from the fantastic Garter Plan album. So Inge, this is your choice. Yeah. Uh, give us your choice to end the episode on. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go out with a bang. This song is uh, called uh, Cash and Dom Toss. It's uh, the third song on the album and uh that's normally in the album days where you place the the single mm. uh, <laughs> just ended up there but it was the last song that i think i completed before the album was when it was done like this is the when i had that one i knew i had a whole album so therefore it means something to me just because of that you know that when i wrote that i knew that i had a whole album so yeah <laughs> Well, let's hear it. And thanks again, Inge. All the best to you. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, for having me. And it's been a pleasure. Thanks. And let's play out with Garter Plant and Cash and Dom Toss. Cash and Dom Toss, 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 Cash and Så det blir vår 